Welcome to the Coffee and Conversation podcast, the podcast that celebrates great people making amazing things happen. This second series of the podcast is presented under the banner of COVID Connections, and I'll be chatting with several of the fabulous people with whom my path has crossed over these challenging past 12 months. My guest today is Richard Sumner. When I asked Richard how he would like to be introduced on the podcast, he thought about it, then replied, can you just say I'm a teacher? Given that I feel it's important for people to be described in their own words, I answered yes. However, in no way does this simple introduction do justice to who Richard is or what he stands for. Richard is perhaps one of the most interesting, articulate, expressive people I have had the privilege to meet. With a poem or story or piece of prose for every occasion, he has a breadth of experience that is totally intriguing. From what I observe, he is a caring human with a passion for teaching. He seems to strive to create environments in which others can thrive and seeks to share his love of words and so much more with those he meets. This is Richard. Welcome to this next edition of the Coffee and Conversation podcast. Um, It is an afternoon, but I have been naughty and I have a black coffee in front of me, um, which might might or might not be my third of the day. We'll leave that for debate. (laughs) Um, And my guest today is Richard. So welcome, Richard. Hello. Hello. Uh, and Richard, I believe you're dialing in from you. You finished teaching, working for this afternoon, I understand, and you're dialing in from your school. Yes, I am. Yeah, yeah. Finished teaching for this afternoon. It's all been really quite uh, chaotic with everything that's going on at the moment. So it's really nice to sit down and have a nice conversation about things that we love. Yeah, awesome. And I, I met, um, bumped into a teacher over the weekend and randomly started chatting, and she was adamant that it was seventeen days, seventeen teaching days, or something till till school term. So, is that are those kind of words seeping into your being at the moment? Yeah, I mean, when I first started teaching, I didn't really really realise how fantastic the summer holidays were. Um, and we normally count down to the summer holidays, but uh, this year particularly, everybody's yeah ticking them off on their on their kind of prison chart on the wall. Excellent uh, for that day. Oh, brilliant. Well, as ever, um, well, I suppose a bit of background. Uh, Richard is a COVID, con- COVID connection even. Um, and actually, yeah, this is probably, again, our first one-to-one conversation because most of our chat conversations have been involved in um, the AOB discussions and, uh, yeah, yeah, the randomness that that takes us on on a Thursday afternoon. It certainly does. It certainly does. It's, uh, it is a kind of, I don't know... Um, a sort of decompression chamber, you know, there are lots of things that build up and build up and, and then all of a sudden you can meet with like-minded people who can can also take some of the responsibility for it, I feel. Um, mm-hmm. you know, it's not as though I'm, I'm giving it to them, but I'm, I'm looking for, you know, what do you think these things have really built up inside me? I can now kind of download them, to use a terrible metaphor, and then people can take them mm-hmm. and, and can just muse on them and think about them to think if they have any kind of significance. And I do like the thing that Paul's done with the um, the Discord to actually have a sort of a little place where we can record some things now as well to sort of see how people, uh, how those traces of thought continue uh, to sort of impact on people uh, as, as we move through the week. And I think as a resource, that's going to develop over time as well. There's already, I think you posted something yesterday, the, the TED Talk, um, which I had a good look at, um, and then some articles that people have put up, which have been really, really interesting. So, so yeah, but they have been random, which I think absolutely, is, is the absolutely, absolutely. And and I have, and I think I don't know why, but more than anybody in this conversation, we could go in any direction because what I I think my experience of of hearing you talk is, I think you're probably one of the most articulate people that I've ever kind of come across. But also breadth of like we can be talking about, I don't know. 
something like um, agency or opportunity or, or, you know, responsibility. And then you'll kind of share some philosophical, like Voltaire, I think you'd quoted on the Discord channel, which is just, it's just fascinating as to see where different people take things. And um, so I'm totally intrigued by your quote, what it means to you and, and where it's going to take us on this uh, this conversation. Yeah, um, it's, uh, it's a American poet, William Carlos Williams, who I really like. Um, and he kind of um, really experimented with poetic form and poetic ideas, but really uh, something that comes out of AOB, something that he tried to do all of the time was marry together the sort of environmental world around us. And ironically, it fits with the TED Talk, the idea of different ways of seeing the world. Um, and then notions of truth and how we negotiate truth. So he did a poem called Patterson, which is this kind of uh, sort of, has four, four books to it, you know, where he is looking through different kind of ecologies to work out where does the human really sit in all of this, which is absolutely fascinating. He was also sort of interested in sort of aphorism and statements that kind of picked up on particular philosophical ideas. And again, it's within that kind of interesting American framework where, where what you have is people like Henry Thoreau who go on, you know, as Walden and sit in the countryside to try and figure out their relationship to the, the expanse of the world. Um, and, and, and just as an aside, you know, one of my favourite novels is, you know, The Great Gatsby by F. Scott Fitzgerald. And, and there's a bit at the end of the book, the last five paragraphs of the book, where, where Nick sits down on, on the shores of, of, of West Egg to try and consider what this has all been about. And he tried to imagine himself as the Dutch sailors arriving at this land and viewing this land, and he, he uses this statement um, that, that America must have seen like, you know, the, the final only time that, that the land was consummate with our ability to wonder. And that idea of the American dream and that idea of, of, of this place is in somehow, you know, like Eden. So William Carlos Williams writes within that American context. But this particular quote was one of his last poems um, from the, the green asphodel flower, where he's writing to his wife at the age of 70 about their relationship and love and where they are and how they've experienced lots of different things. And then this quote, which is the idea that, that something that people value only for its aesthetic qualities or something that people view to be maybe frivolous or without particular purpose, um, actually is the place where we find out what we are, um, and that's poetry. And if you ever, you know, poetry is quite, quite you know, akin to, to a modern language. You know, it, you know the, the poetry you know, or the modern language you know, is what you did in school. Um, you, don't, you never read it again. So when they do the, the top 100 poems, it's always, you know, it's Wilfred Owen, it's, it's kind of like uh, William Wordsworth and so on and so forth. And it is a real tragedy, you know, and that, that, that quote about um, uh, that, that you cannot get the news from a poem, but that people die miserably every day for want of what is found there, is that idea that we lose sight of what is necessarily important in what it is to be a human being. Um, and it is in art and literature and painting uh, that we find that. Um, and that, that's why this quote just encapsulates for me what it is that we all do. Uh, even to the idea when kids ask me, you know, why are we studying poetry for God's sake? What's that all about? 
you know, then I always go to this quote. I always go to this quote and say, you know, what you are is linked fundamentally to the way in which we express ourselves. And the most beautiful way we can express ourselves is through art, poetry, music, painting, that kind of thing. And that's where we find out what we are and who we are. So that's why I love it so much. Wow. That's 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 quite an introduction. <laughs> We've covered Great Gatsby, poetry, <laughs> art, all other things. So right, what what meaning does it have for you right now in terms of as you as you sit here talking to us and maybe reflecting on some of those conversations, you give us kind of insight into, you know, some of the important bits about it. Um but what yeah. Yeah, it is that that suffering, you know, again, that, you know, we've all gone through collectively suffering, you know, and we all have been separated off and COVID, if it's done anything, has has exacerbated those those separate uh, separate aspects of our lives between people who are poor, people who are old and young, people who are in different places on the planet, um, how different places on the planet relate to each other. And all of a sudden, it, it's it's highlighted, you know, like you, like there's a jigsaw of the world, and you know you can't see the light coming through the gaps because it's you know it's sat down, and then someone shine shine the light through the back of it, and all of a sudden you can see that these these gaps and splits and fissions that exist between everything on the planet, you know, um, and therefore the one thing that if anything is this idea of our collective humanity you know our collective ability to love and to hate and to suffer and to survive um, to produce extraordinary things to um, be extraordinary but on the other hand to be extraordinarily bad you know I, I wouldn't use the word evil advisedly but in that there is such a fascinating thing that we we are and that we have um, and that what COVID has done is maybe, I don't know, shine a light on how we do things so badly and how we do things in such an unfair, inequitable way that the quote brings to the fore that we always are looking at the wrong thing, not the right thing. And that it's looking, trying to find the right thing. It doesn't all have to be the same thing, but looking at the right thing and where we might be able to find that and what place we might be able to look to find our our commonality. And I think also as well that, that the complexity of poetry means that it doesn't give up its beauty and its its, its love of something easily. It, it doesn't package things away for you. It asks you questions about who you are and where you are and, and why you're necessarily there. And therefore, for me, it, there's space for discussion. So it's not I, I adopt this position and I adopt that position. It's the idea that there are many different positions that are held within poetic utterance. Mm. Lots of people can find spaces, but at the core of it, we're exploring our humanity, and we have that in common. So it's, it's like the Joe Cox, you know, quote that that tragedy, you know, where she talks about there's so much more that unites us than divides us, and that's just such a simple, fantastic thing that finds, I think, an expression in William Carlos Williams' statement that where can we find that? Where can we find that to, to make sure that people come together um, to be able to discuss what it is that they are concerned about and what they think about? Um, so that's what it means for me at, at, at this moment in time, uh, because we all have 
suffered. Mm. And we are all looking at the news avidly to see what's happening next. <laughs> and the idea of poetry is something that maybe people think to themselves, well, why, why would I read that? You know, what does it tell me about COVID? Well, it doesn't tell you anything, really. Mm. It just tells you about the, what, you know, 150,000, 160,000 people that have died in Britain and who they were and why they were like you and why they deserve to be remembered. Um, and I think that's, that's important. Will you just read that quote again? And just, just yeah, just can you share it with us just now? Just I'm just because I've got so many things buzzing through my head. Um, yeah. I'm just interested to see if I hear it again whether those things maybe shift slightly given what you've just said. Uh-huh. Well, I mean, what it says is that you know you cannot find um, the news in poetry, but men uh, die miserably every day for want of what is found there, and that is that that key thing is that what where am i looking you know you know when we when we talk we're always looking for something um we haven't really talked about where we might look for that you know interestingly and then maybe that's where discord comes in that we start to look at like where, where have i found some answers or like-minded people mm. but it is that kind of idea of um you know if I'm looking for the answer, and, and the reason for Voltaire today, for example, is that we live in an enlightened world. We we look to science to provide us with answers, as we have done with the pandemic, and obviously there is a role for science. But those more qualitative things, those things that are difficult to say that is that and that is that, are those things that give us, and I do use this term pointedly, that our spirituality, you know, that the sense of what, that essence is within us that makes us human. And the problem with science is what it does is it tries to reduce us down to a series of component parts, which is what we're not. Um, and, and therefore, the simplification or the datification of that becomes something that removes those things that we love that we can't necessarily give an answer to or whether we really should give an answer to. Mm-hmm. So I love the fact that William Carlos Williams doesn't say what you can find is poetry, oh, by the way, is this. But what he says is there is something that they can't get that you may find if you have a look in poetry. Mm-hmm. Uh, and therefore, he leaves it open. He doesn't shut it down and allows for that multiplicity of responses mm-hmm. to, to live in a very, very short quotation. Yeah. You know? and, 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 I, and, you know, what I love about just listening to you talk and also the quote and, and thinking, I think about some of the, you know, the, the group conversations we've involved, we have been involved with. I, you know, I, we're all sat around, sat around that virtual room in our boxes. We're all part of the same conversation. And yet we will all probably take something very different away depending on what's mm-hmm. going on in our lives right then. So that brings me to thinking about, you know, the multiple realities idea of, you know, there is no one single version of the truth. It's our truth, depending on. And also, you know, the, the, the quote just leads me to think, well, actually you find what maybe you're looking for and it's about bringing your own stuff and putting your own slant on things. And maybe it's about music in it. You know, I think music evokes those same emotions, you know, you listen to a track and it's the emotion or the play and that takes you back to the place when you first heard it or, you know, when you first read it, but also then, you know, it's got a right now meaning. So what's going on for all of us that we have in common right now is COVID. Um, equally, we will all have things going on for us that are very unique to us. Um, and, you know, we take, we see things in different ways and, 
Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm always intrigued by that idea that we're all part of that same conversation. And yet, perhaps if, you know, we came back an hour later and said, well, what did you hear from that? Then it would be really interesting to see the, you know, the breadth of the, the different things that we latched onto because of what's going on in our everyday lives. Absolutely. That's, that's the, that's the glory of, you know, artistic forms, you know, I mean, you know, I love uh, Dead Poet Society, you know, and the guy John Keating and, 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 you know, the questions that the idea of teaching poetry as a, as a, as, as a, a, a sort of series of bits of knowledge that you can learn and then apply. And, and there you are. And we, I, again, in Oribu, we had, we had a discussion about, you know, the, the technical as, a, as opposed to the creative. But there's a brilliant bit in there where he talks about this idea of, you know, you know, medicine, law, engineering, these are all noble pursuits. But what is it that we live for? You know, what is it that we we, we desire? And it's love and it's beauty and it's it's living. You know, that that's what we are alive for. We're not living to be an engineer. And actually an engineer might create something that is poetic. Mm. And it's the poetic nature of what they've created that is the thing that gives them most pleasure and gives them most um, most joy. And that's the thing. That's one of the problems with teaching, for example, you know, the idea that knowledge is taken, it's packaged up and then delivered to students as though if you listen to what I say, then you can understand this poem. So therefore, what I try to do is I start with this, this quotation, you know, I, you know, why is, why are we looking at this? You know, why are we um, trying to explore the, the breadth and depth of human experience through this particular medium? Well, it's because when something really profound happens, something really difficult happens, what we do is we turn to music or we turn to poetry mm -hmm. to help us to understand it because the monumental nature of what it is that is happening is very difficult to put into words because words fail us. And therefore we require people who are extraordinarily adept at doing this and see the world in a variety of ways to support us with that process. Um, it's, it's like when I, I do creative writing with young kids. You know, I've had kids actually say to me, I have nothing to write about because no one in my family has died. And I'm kind of like, no one needs to die in your family to write creatively, like, you know. But they see, they, they, they associate it with something, you know, extraordinarily huge and, and so on and so forth. And that's because in some way they do sense that important writing or that writing allows them to see the world in a certain kind of way um, that they're on the beginning of that journey, but that people give to them so that they can see the world uh, in all of its complexity. Uh, and that's, you know, sometimes, you know, very, very succinctly, as with this quotation, or at other times, over a very long period of time, you know, so like, you know, uh, La Recherche du Tom Perdu and, and Proust talked about his Madeleines and his grandmother and, and so on and so forth, you know, um, we come at it in, in a whole variety of different kinds of complex ways. And that, that's just lovely. Yeah, and it's as you're talking, a friend of mine, um, so going back a few years now, she, we, yeah, we do a bit of, um, I, I, we do a bit of an exercise that we've done when we work, like workshop, like Desert Island Discs, what would you take with you? And we've done it in different coaching contexts, you know, so if it's a sport, what would you take with you as your own personal tools and things like that? And we got chatting afterwards and she was talking about one of her books, um, which was The Waves by Virginia Woolf. And I've, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've never read it. And I, at that point, I'd never read any Virginia Woolf. And I was like, oh, it's curious. I'm going to go and have a read. And that really struck me. And, and I found it quite hard to read to start with because it was stream of consciousness. And it was, but actually what I took from that is, is this idea of all of us experiencing things in different ways and multiple realities and all of those, you know, those sorts of things. So 
you know that that idea that uh, yeah the, you know maybe the maybe it's not the answers that we're looking for but we find some sort of solace or comfort or um something that just helps us to understand and it's not um you know i'm i'm thinking about myself you know i i write poems and songs and and it's always been a way i found of expressing myself um but yeah just little whether it's a text or a quote or a poem kind of just sparks you into maybe thinking feeling like you understand something a little bit more or thinking about something or or even making sense of things in a not in a a plus b equals c type of way but uh okay yeah it's yeah i can see where this is coming from now yeah yeah it is that it's that ability you know for for art to either sort of distill things down to a particular point where you can see it and say right yeah yeah that i i get that you know or it can explode things out so that therefore oh my god there's there's other ways of seeing this you know and and, and making things problematic you know again it is quite interesting you know when i when i'm teaching the kids harold pinter you know we do a play called the homecoming um, and it's it's fascinating to watch when they see the performance um, because two of the characters within it, it's a kind of intruder character called Ruth who comes into a very male household and kind of usurps the central patriarch. But there's one bit in it where the, the older brother is dancing with Ruth and the, hu- and the husband of Ruth, Lenny, is standing at the back and they start to kiss. The kids are outraged. They're absolutely outraged. They're kind of like, he is her husband. He is her husband. Why is he not doing anything to protect her? And afterwards, we kind of unpick that and say, like, why should he? Ruth seems to be absolutely fine. You know, Ruth is dealing with the situation as, as she sees it. Um, you know, Teddy is standing there doing what he's doing and so on and so forth. Um, and therefore we say, well, why do you think that Lenny should interrupt Ruth? Why do you think Ruth, if she needed Lenny, would ask for Lenny? And so on and so forth. And so therefore what you get is, you know, you can see that the, the structures and the ways in which kids see the world are already very much ingrained in terms about what is right, what is wrong, what is true, what is not true, what people should or should not do. And then art comes into it and explodes that for them and says, you know, why do you not, you know, why, why? You know, they respond to it yeah. in a very visceral kind of way, which is very, very exciting. Mm-hmm. But as you say about multiplicity is that when people come to say something like stream of consciousness, Joyce or, or Virginia Woolf or, or, or whoever it may be, or, or modern art, like you know, Picasso, for example, or Cubism, talking about different perspectives. Or even my other favorite, which I do with the kids, which is a, a guy called Kazimir Malevich, who did a very famous painting called uh, A Black Square and a White Background. And they're outraged at that. They go, oh my God, that's not art. What is that all about? Uh, but then I, I show them the next picture, which is his other painting, which is a white square and a white background. And they're absolutely outraged. You know, how can people get away with this? How can people do this kind of thing? Like, you know, but what I love about it is that it does exactly what it's meant to do. It it it, it motivates them to then start to question, you know, do I want figurative art packaged up for me and a nice picture of something? There it is. That's what it is. It's real. That That's where it is. Or do I want art that asks me questions or challenges me? Or... Or which I which I also like is that quite a lot of art is meant to be funny. You know, people trying to take it so seriously and very profusely. Oh, what does it mean? Oh, la 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 la. Um, and I took kids to the uh, uh, the Tate Modern in in London, and there was there was a piece of conceptual art. It wasn't great, 
So all it was was a, was a, a, a sofa lying on, a, on an inflated balloon with a head on it laughing hilariously, like, you know. And honestly, you just stared at it for about a minute or so and you would start laughing. You, you, you couldn't help but laughing, you know. And it was, and the kids were kind of like, what's the point? And I was kind of like, well, maybe just have a laugh. Maybe just just have it funny, you know, you know. Um, and that, again, is, 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 is something I think is in the William Carlos Williams quote, because I think he, he says people die and suffer it, but he doesn't shut it down to say you can't just find joy in poetry, that actually you can find it there as well, and maybe the news is the thing that causes us that, that kind of situation, because we're not looking for the joy as well, we're looking for the problems, you mm. know, and the difficulties and the tragedies, you know, and that can overwhelm us. Yeah. Where actually, sitting with a book of poetry can, God, I'm sounding like a right, you know, wandering <laughs> up the hills in my tweed and poetry, like, you know. So. Hey, do you know what? I would, <laughs> so we, we went Munro bagging. So we, I'm a Munro bagger. We now have eight to go. Um, we went up to um, Coral Station and there's one that we hadn't done, Ben Nalap, which is three hours, really quick, easy. And we'd got loads of time between trays. So I put a book in my rucksack and I was looking around. I was like, what should I? So I, um, somebody recommended it, and um, it's Einstein's Dreams, and it's about, and it's just, it's just interesting how these things kind of like connect up because that's about what is time, and it feels very much like the sliding doors kind of idea, of the movie, you know, that for for the for for a one split second or a one decision, things could have turned out, and who is, you know, what is time. What does it mean to people and what how is time spent? And it's really, yeah. So I was sat up on the top of uh, like had a picnic. It was kind of sort of ish warm out of the breeze. Um, yeah, reading my book. So <laughs> that's my random, random moment from the weekend. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, no, that, that's, that's, a, that's a brilliant, brilliant thing. Um, and uh, there's a, who, who, I'm, I'm thinking of a, a writer, he, he wrote a book called Swimming to Cambodia. Um, and he talks about uh, perfect moments, the idea that there are, are, are moments that just encapsulate everything when you're just consumed by the situation that mm. you're in. He talks about he's swimming in the sea of Thailand. He's, he's in a film, uh, The Killing Floor, uh, and he's sort of just in the waves and he has a perfect moment. You know, he has this moment where everything seems to come together, everything is tranquil, everything is glorious. And also as well, he's kind of placed himself in the universe. He, he understands his position, he understands who he is, he understands where he is. Um, and that is something he absolutely enjoys. And it's about recognizing when those those perfect moments uh, ne- necessarily come. Um, and that is something that I think people as well don't do, that, that notion of contemplation or seeing the thing in front of you as it is rather than as you would want it to be or how you would necessarily want to make it. It's Spalding Gray is, is the writer. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's that's one of our problems. You know, it's always fascinating to see people who go to things and then they mediate their experience through a mobile phone. You know, so they're taking a picture of what is there uh, and uh, they're, they're trying to, you know, whether that is something we have nowadays in terms of trying to you know, fix ourselves in place and time because we are feeling so fragmented, so disconnected from each other and from everything that we need to constantly take photographs of things to fix ourselves in particular spaces. Therefore, we keep taking photographs of them to say, I was there, look, I was there. Yeah, this, that, that reminds me of um, the conversation Geraldine and I had a couple of weeks ago. Um, 
and you know she was talking about how our way of kind of consuming things has changed because or storytelling that's what we were talking because maybe a few years ago you'd go somewhere and then you would speak to somebody and you would retell that story and the only way you could okay you might have taken a couple of photos but you'd need to wait till you'd finish your 36 film send it off for a week and come back in the post to get your photos (laughs) whereas like you know so you you would recreate that by conjuring up images through telling stories and sharing that in that way whereas now like you say it's you know you put your you put your facebook post and you check into the actual place and it tells you who you're with and all those kind of things so it has given you that that moment in time and yeah. and you know i want you know maybe maybe we are maybe we're you know and i think about myself you know i've actually you know i suppose two sides of this one is i now take photos of small things so i'm looking for and i'll take a picture of a close-up of a flower or something that I notice that feels really beautiful. Um, I'll still take pictures of, like, around, but, but yeah, maybe, and maybe some other days, I'll deliberately not take my phone with me because then you can't, I can't stop and take those photos. And it is, in, yeah, it is interesting to think about how that changes what we see and what we notice. Absolutely, and it's always that, that thing about, about memory and about narration, you know, the idea that in the past you would have a photograph as, as a piece of, you know, as an aid memoir to your life. And it, obviously because they were not, you know, something you did all the time, they, they took on a sort of significance as an artifact. So you built something around it. But also what you had to do was narrate it. You know, we did this, we did that. I remember the colours, I remember the smells and the place and so on and so forth something akin to, to reading. Therefore, you have to create that through the words that you're necessarily given. And then what happens is, it's even in the idea of going back to the quote, is you know, Facebook now called your newsfeed, which is actually your life. You know, so the, your, your newsfeed is now what you do. And so when he says you can't find you know, the news in poetry, what's happened is we've turned our life into the news and we're losing the poetry of our lives because of that. Yeah. And therefore, that that is that is the issue. And I, I think you know, last week when we were talking about power and corruption and lying and so on and so forth, you know, one of the things for me is that how we now have fallen into sort of presenting ourselves inauthentically. You know, that we aren't authentic anymore because we're presenting a version of ourselves to the world mm. which is created you know, through a whole variety of technological um, sort of affordances, which means that we're telling everybody lies, you know, and, uh, you know, not lies as we talked at great length about being vicious or whatever, but it is that thing is when does the lie become your reality? Yeah. And therefore you can no longer distinguish between what is the true self and what is the self that you have constructed through this newsfeed. Yeah. And therefore, that's why we're so, or why we're becoming so disconnected. Because what grounds us? You know, I found it very interesting. I, I only came on Facebook at the beginning of COVID, funnily enough, because I wanted to keep in contact with my mum. And so, therefore, we could see each other and, and keep in contact. I, I hate it. I, I, I despise it. But also, as well, what I found is that they have complete control of what they remind you of. Yeah. You, can't, you can't search for anything. You can't say, oh, I'd like to find that memory and go back to it. And you know, even when you scroll through it, it stops you at a particular point. It's only them who will then say, look, this is what you are. And therefore, that that's really concerning for me. It's really worrying for me um, yeah. that 
our control of our history and our control of our memories is now being taken away from us. But the horrible thing is, is we're giving them up freely. <laughs> we're kind of going, yeah, have them, you know, take them. That's absolutely fine. Uh, and that's hugely problematic for me. Yeah, it is. And it is. I think that, you know, who are we lying to, I think, is a question that I've, that has sparked, that I've kind of held in my head from that last conversation in terms of, you know, ultimately there are those small little everyday lies that, like you say, become your reality. And actually we're a lot of the time lying to ourselves almost because, you know, what we're portraying to the world or, you know, the thing, it, it it's, there's probably a degree of truth and, you know, there's degree because they happened, that, that happened, that photo happened. But what it doesn't tell is the emotions and the, everything else that has led up to that point it's a snapshot in time that is presented to the world as usually look at this look at this perfect moment and yet perhaps two minutes before you know you were arguing with your husband or um yeah that you know or you know something drastic had happened and everything had just fallen into the sea and you know (laughs) and it was just (laughs) floating down the stream as you're going yeah this is amazing as your pass, as your passport and driving license float off towards Ireland. I know, I know, and that's always the wonderful thing about photographs. You know, the photographs are exactly that. You know, and, and why they were so fascinating to, you know, those in the late nineteenth century, early twentieth century, as an artistic medium, was that it captures a perfect, or they're trying to capture a perfect moment, mm-hmm. and therefore, in freezing time like that, it has a whole poss- a series of possible inferences that we take away about who we are, what we are, and so on and so forth. Where this manic taking photographs, you know, of nearly everything that you can do, um, takes away that that, that notion of of, of capturing, you know, space and time in a moment in in a solid artifact and what that might necessarily mean, because they're losing all significance. Mm. And you loads of them or never look at any of them or or whatever. I mean, still to the sense that my mum at home as boxes and boxes and boxes of photographs that we all took as kids, you know, um, that are absolutely fascinating to get out of a out of a box and you have a look over them and, and so on and so forth, which I think is a far, far different scrolling screen. I know, and, and you know, my my mind now is like going on to oh, we could talk about memory being subjective and how we we each experience as young people. Um, however, I'm conscious of time, um, and we're coming to the end of this um, this podcast, which has been fascinating. And um, yeah, I I I am going away to think about. So what you know, what are the reflections for me? I think that per, that idea of perfect moments is something quite interesting, and and for me. There's two, there's two flip sides of that almost, the perfect moments that we post to the world, um, and sh- but also the perfect, you know, what really are those perfect moments and where are they and what's happening around us that it's not just one thing, it's, a com- it's almost like a combination and accumulation of certain ingredients that come together at that one moment to, to create something that feels pretty perfect. So that feels quite, um, that feels something quite intriguing that I'm going to take take forward um and also this yeah this idea of when you know when the news is feeding us with lots of negative stuff which has happened and it has been tough um however somewhere there are some little bright spots and bright sparks that still happen and actually it's about looking for those and perhaps poetry or art 
other things that can spark growth for us as opposed to the factual let's argue another day on what factual is and what truth is um, that's being presented to us in the news so those are perhaps the things that that, that spark for me in this conversation um, but as ever I will leave leave you to offer us a final reflection um, or something you'd like to leave people with no I mean it, as you say it, it's fascinating and, and actually what I've loved very much is a quote that I've loved because it's been at the center of something has allowed me to to revisit it and talk about it and to make and to think about it again in a different kind of way um because you know when i'm with my kids they think i own it and it was me and whatever um but but having a, a time just to talk about the, the possibilities of that quotation has reminded me of that of why i chose it and, and how much i love it fabulous and given this idea who knows if we come and back and have this conversation in a couple of years time perhaps the meaning may have shifted again for you but it will still be important absolutely so thank you very much fabulous thank you richard you have been listening to the coffee and conversation podcast the podcast that celebrates great people making amazing things happen my thanks again to my guest richard sumner and also to you for listening until the next time take care